Welcome to the Get Over Yourself podcast. This is author and athlete Brad Kearns discovering ways to be healthy, fit, and happy in hectic, high-stress modern life. So let's slow down and take a deep breath, take a cold plunge, and expertly balance that competitive intensity with an appreciation of the journey. That's the theme of the show. Here we go. Don't feel bad if you're one of these people who are extremely deficient aerobically. You just haven't trained that energy system well, and you need to deserve and the highest level of your potential and protecting your health and having longevity will all be accessed with a sensible approach that's been proven for 60 years since Peter Snell that the aerobic foundation is essential. My best score is a 128. I shot a 78 in 47 minutes, that's 125, in the California Championships uh, two years ago, and I got third, and that was a great, a 78's a good round for me. I mean, if I took all day, I could shoot 78, but I was moving really quickly and just kind of in that, um, that, that zen peak performance mindset. I was in the flow. These things like mindfulness are coming into the athletic realm now, where we're seeing uh, that the, you know the human can develop in a way that's aside from how many miles you're putting on your bike and on your shoes. Let's talk about ancestral supplements. If you're into ancestral health, primal paleo, keto, you know the importance of consuming these unique agents contained in bone marrow, in the nose-to-tail organ meats, liver, kidney, all that stuff, the great bone broth benefits. Well, how's it going? For me, since years ago when Dr. Kate Shanahan asserted the importance of these wonderful nutritional benefits that you can't get elsewhere, eh, not too good. I don't know how to cook a liver or a kidney, but now your problems are solved forever when you go to ancestralsupplements.com, a wonderful company filled with people who are living the dream, walking their talk, and bottling up the purest, cleanest sources of grass-fed organ meats, kidney, liver, bone marrow, all in these wonderful capsules. I dump them in my smoothie every day. I'm healthy. I don't have to worry. It's an incredible dietary boost. And this is so different from swallowing a bunch of those synthetic vitamins and those giant bottles from the big box stores, highly questionable health practice. This stuff is the real deal. Grass-fed organ meats, pure as can be, ancestralsupplements.com. Hi, listeners. It's Brad to introduce a very special show with my friend Tani Prezak. It's kind of a hybrid show because we were going to do a recording for her Endurance Planet podcast, talking about all the important, wonderful matters of endurance training. And then I was going to sit with her and interview her for the Get Over Yourself podcast. And what we ended up doing was just talking for quite a long time and throwing in uh, bits and pieces of each of our ambitions for the type of show we wanted to talk about. Uh, but the special part for me was I haven't seen Tani in a couple years. The last time I was down there at her beautiful home in Laguna Beach overlooking the Pacific Ocean, we did some breezy video interviews for the Primal Endurance course and got all her expertise about training and special considerations for female athletes, all that great stuff and the important matters of the day. And since I last saw her, Tani has been through a great personal ordeal, family tragedy, 
a journey of healing and recovering and coming back to the public eye and sitting back down to record podcasts, which is her wonderful career that she's been doing for so long with Endurance Planet and has built such a wonderful following. So Tani and her husband, John, lost their newborn daughter, Whitney, after a full-term pregnancy and childbirth. Understandably, at a very difficult time processing the pain and the grief, and Tani was very open and vulnerable, sharing her feelings with her following on social media. She took a leave of absence from her role as the host of the Endurance Planet podcast. The couple did a lot of traveling. They lived the van life for a while, exploring the United States, hitting the road. Tani plunged into a deep immersion into healing and practices of meditation and Buddhism and personal growth and working on herself and trying hard to pick up the pieces and move on with life. So I was overjoyed to walk in and see these guys after a couple of years, and she's well pregnant right now. They have big plans ahead. They're going to get back in that van, explore more of the United States, going to head to another state to have the baby for several months, and then who knows what the future holds. But she's back on the airwaves with her awesome Endurance Planet show. Go over there if you have an interest in endurance training, and especially listen to her Welcome back show with our mutual friend, Brock Armstrong. Wonderful discussion. And boy, she is really sharing an important and evolved and thoughtful perspective for such a young lady. She's only in early to mid-30s. Interestingly, the endurance community that Tani and I have both been a part of for a long time might be accused of having a high-intensity, high-strung, type-A approach to pursuing peak performance goals, getting a little bit caught up rather than getting over themselves and needing to work through uh, some of these challenges of having that greatest strengths of your devotion and discipline and focus and intensity also coming back to bite you and becoming your worst enemy when you have a flawed approach to peak performance goals. So here's Tani overlaying this incredible personal journey and tragedy and healing and pain and suffering and coming back to the coming back to the plate and trying to get motivated and refocused on the nuances of heart rate training. So Something for all of us to reflect upon is that critical balance, that delicate balance between pursuing your goals with a passion and living a purposeful life and also not sweating the ups and downs and realizing that pain and suffering and tragedy are inevitable in life and you have to deal with it and move on and try to work on yourself and be the best you can be. So enjoy this hybrid discussion between Tawny hitting me up with the talking points for the endurance audience and I think for the broader audience too. I'm talking about trying to preserve testosterone levels as you age and still pursue peak performance goals, but not overdoing it and not getting into these ruts and overtraining patterns. We hit the diet aspect uh, toward the end of the show where we're talking about the various factions and all the controversy and trying to take a sensible, reasonable approach to healthy eating. I think you'll like that part. I also get in some plugs for my speed golf passion and my cold plunge. And it's back and forth between this heavy stuff of what Tawny's been through in her life and her reflections, and then some practical discussion. 
So it's hard to pigeonhole and define this conversation distinctly, but in the spirit of the evolved medium that is podcasting, I hope you will get an interesting and thought-provoking conversation between two people trying to lead a healthy, balanced life, pursue peak performance goals, and be happy. Tani Prezak in Laguna Beach, getting ready for her road trip. Welcome back to Endurance Planet. This is your host, Tawny Prezak Gibson. And it's always a pleasure when I get to do shows in person with my guest of the day. And that is the case right now. This man has been on the show before. It's actually been just over two years, a little over two years since we sat down the last time. So with me today is Brad Kearns, who now has his own podcast called the Get Over Yourself Podcast, which sounds amazing. I think we all need to take a little dose of that. Uh, You can check him out at his website, bradkearns.com, which we'll link to in the show notes. And we're also going to hear about the speed golfing thing that he's... Whether you like it or not, <laughs> he seems you're going to be hear pretty about damn it. good at. And Thank uses, you for asking, Tawny. He uses math for. Absolutely. Amazing. Brad, thanks, thanks for coming down. Oh, I'm glad so glad to be back. Yeah. It's fun. In person is the only way to go. We're trying hard. So I, I, I brave the rainy roads of Orange County to make it here. It's, I mean, it's a real thing in Southern California when people don't know how to drive in the rain. Yeah, if this were Seattle, it would be like we'd no be recording outdoors. Exactly. Oh, it's nice on the porch. It's just a drizzle. <laughs> yeah, let's put our hats on. So that's what I know. So much to talk about. So too. much to talk about. Um, yeah, since the last time that you were here. So you know, I want to hear a little bit about the inspiration for your Get Over Yourself podcast. Because seriously, like it's such a central theme. I think we all need a little bit more of in our lives. Is just get over ourselves. Don't we worry deserve. So much. We deserve to. Yeah, not worry so much about what other people think of us and all that. Right. I mean, this dates back to my racing career as a triathlete. Nine years on the pro circuit, and it was so intense. And just the lessons of success and failure learned in such a dramatic manner. And we talked about that in a long time in our previous show. You can go right. back and listen to that about how I we'll won this it. race and lost that race. <laughs> uh, but that was. Kind of the biggest lesson I learned was when I had this misdirected competitive intensity and was too driven and too focused and too hard on myself and wanting so badly to succeed that I wanted it too badly and I attached my self-esteem to the outcome of the events. That's when I struggled and suffered and got away from my ideal peak performance disposition and just got got knocked down by the high competitive circumstances of, of racing as a pro where, you know, no one's... You're not make, you can make excuses, but you don't get paid unless you come first, second, third, fourth. Everything's so graphic that you really had to process a lot of failure and finally learn that you know a pure motivation is better than uh, an impure one. Mm-hmm. And if I was able to get over myself and then just go out the door because I love the challenge, win or lose, but you know keeping that competitive intensity when it's time to race. And preserving that throughout life, and that's we'll talk about that with the speed golf and into present day. You've got to have something that gets you up in the morning, gets you pumped up, and gets you psyched up. But you have to apply the proper competitive mindset. Otherwise, you're going to struggle and suffer, and it's going to be a, a much more difficult road than if you get over yourself and you realize that you know, you're not the center of the universe, especially when you're doing something trivial like a recreational participant in endurance sports, which most of our listeners are. And those of you going for the Olympics for your country, you still deserve to get over yourself. Yeah, it's such a good lesson where sometimes I know even, you know, with my deal of health issues I've been through, I feel like the universe kind of forced me into that mindset where 
I wanted to be, you know, the person qualifying for Kona, winning whatever, and just, you know, that was not necessarily in my cards, and it was a humbling thing, but I think it's, in a way, it was a blessing in disguise to sort of learn those lessons, especially early on, and how they car- I carry them into my approach now. Oh, dang, I'm thinking back to our, our <laughs> pal, Maffetone, and after, I think we recorded for, like, six or seven hours one day. Of course, I went out there in person out in the middle of the desert in Oracle, Arizona, where I used to live. And I remember we were going down this thread for a long time. And finally, I was kind of getting, you know, I was was getting exasperated because the answer wasn't clear. And I'm like, well, then if you don't need to train that much anaerobic muscle fiber and you don't really need to train the brain to suffer, the brain can suffer at any moment and you shouldn't do that much volume of of aerobic training, then how do you distinguish between the the winner and the guy in the middle of the pack and the guy at the end of the pack? And he goes genetics mainly Mm. i'm like holy f you're kidding but it was such a beautiful answer because you're you're dreaming of kona and you're training so hard and you got all the gadgets and the right coaching you're heading out there and you're doing what you're supposed to do and someone got first and you got seventh or you got second by a nose out leaned at the tape or you got 87th dr Lindsay taylor talks about this a lot on primal endurance podcast this is maybe what's meant to be and that's a fabulous wonderful victory for you to improve your time from the previous performance in that thing or to be able to say hey i got off my ass because two years ago i was smoking overweight had health risks and now i'm a finisher of the race so when i used to put on that triathlon auburn triathlon um the last person would come in and sometimes they'd come in 30 minutes after the previous last person because they'd refute our our cutoff times and stuff and they got a they got the warmest welcome and everyone cheering and giving them a, a leftover age group award because it's like they they won something themselves too but we're just mm-hmm. so conditioned to judging and measuring ourselves absolutely yeah absolutely so how um so let's talk about the speed golf thing and especially kind of what you're we're already talking about like getting over yourself i'm kind of curious i know you said you've been dabbling in it for sounds like a couple decades but you're taking it a bit more seriously like professional level? Good question. Oh, yes. I'm in the professional uh, speed golf ranks, which is uh, to say that there's not that many competitors out there in the world. But it's this wonderful grassroots sport, very strange, where you go out and have a golf tournament, right? But they're also timing you. So endurance listeners, it's pretty fascinating. It's one. It's the greatest sport in the world because you go out to the course. <laughs> They, they start the time. It's a time trial format, like, like Tour okay. de France, where you start uh, about five to seven minutes apart. Otherwise, we'd be hitting each other in the head, like trying to race through the course. No, it's not that silliness, but you have your own, you know, tea time, and you go off, and you try to complete the course as fast as you can. Uh-huh. So they count your strokes. So you're not doing, like, this hockey puck thing, like, uh, you know, just bop, 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 hitting the ball. You're trying to score a good score and complete the course in a good time. And so at the finish, they add it together. So if it took you an hour to play the course, 60 minutes, and you shot 80, your speed golf score is 140. Okay. Um, so if you were to, say, get careless and miss a short putt, that just cost you a minute of running. And I can run an entire par four, 350 yards in a minute, right? So I don't want to rewind the clock. I want to make these good putts, shoot a good score, but also keep that, uh, you know, it's basically anaerobic threshold pace for me. So it changes the sport entirely from... Like biathlon. It's exactly like, like biathlon. Because if, if the biathlete... I mean, you know biathlon in the Winter Olympics where they're skiing cross-country, they stop and shoot at targets, right. they ski again. If they miss one of the targets, they ski a 200-meter penalty lap every time they miss. Yeah. So it's like, you better be a good shot. Yeah. and not. You want to go ski, just go ski in the ski race. Same with golf. You want to go on the tour and shoot 64, that's great. So this is like a blend between fitness and golf, but also you're out of that... 
uh, that over analytical mindset that's so it, it ruins golfers experiences and they're just in their head all the time and they have all these clubs and they're not very good anyway it doesn't even matter what club you pull because we carry only a handful of clubs and so we have to hit all these creative shots with the only clubs that we brought we don't want to be lugging a huge bag along because the time factor so i've been playing it for many many years and now it's kind of had a resurgence in uh, the last five years they've held a world championships annually and people come from all over the world and so i've i've placed um 20th 20th 19th and 17th in the last four world championships so I'm, i'm up there but the guys at the very top they will shoot par on a championship course Mm -hmm. and complete it in 45 to 50 minutes. My best score is a 128. I shot a 78 in 47 minutes. That's 125 in the California championships uh, two years ago, and I got third. And that was a great – 78 is a good round for me. I mean, if I took all day, I could shoot 78, but I was moving really quickly and just kind of in that that zen peak performance mindset. I was in the flow because – no matter what, you got to move on and hit the next shot. So if you hit a bad shot, you can't be crying about it or adjusting your grip or talking like, what do you think happened there? I came over the top again. You know, golfers do that for four hours while they're waiting and it's boring and it's just, it's so different to be out there in the, in the flow state and like trying me. to hit good shots. So how do you, coming from the triathlon background and, you know, the mistakes, if you want to call it that, that you made in your earlier years. Life lessons. Life lessons. Yeah, yeah that's a better, more appropriate way. Um, how do you keep yourself from going to that mindset set where it becomes so outcome oriented or like, you know, the numbers, you know, the scores that you're talking about, the rankings, like you get a taste of, you know, podium and all of a sudden you get a little greedy with it. How do you keep yourself from like keeping it chill, keeping it zen? That's, that's what it is, man. That's a good question. We should have video because when your eyebrows raised up and I, my eyebrows <laughs> raised up, I'm like, that's right. You get that taste. And then you start effing with your head. Yeah. Like, if I'm this good just goofing around, oh, boy, could I do better? And on the last show, I talked about when I was a rookie on the circuit. And I was having so much fun. I was so glad to be quitting my right. lame-ass accounting job and riding my bike all day and going to these races. And I'd get, like, 18th. And it was so awesome because I was only seven minutes behind Scott Molina. you know. And then I progressed and progressed naturally, like, without even worrying or thinking about it or without even wearing any sponsor's clothes. I was just running around in a bare skin doing these races. And then I had these great victories at the end of my rookie year on the professional circuit. And then I said, oh, well, now if this goofy approach has got me this much success, now it's time to go out there and get serious and get my program down and write all the things in my charts and monitor my heart rate and my speed on the loops and all that stuff. And then I went down that path where I had to extricate from over and over where I was getting too intense and uh, misdirected competitive intensity on the bike trail in Southern California when some doofus passes you wearing sneakers and you're riding your brand new back then it was like $3,000 bike would be really impressive if I said my brand new $3,000 racing bike and now, now it's like, like 10k plus yeah had no idea incredible yeah. anyway um, so it's pretty easy now because I'm an old dude and I'm not like going to these events and there's ESPN there wanting some interview time with me while my (laughs) sponsors are looking and doing, you know, now it's just for fun. Uh, But I, I want to make this important point that it's, it's really healthy and I think really valuable in life to maintain this competitive intensity throughout life with whatever you're doing. So I've found this goofy sport of speed golf to make that my competitive outlet Instead of, um, you know, reminiscing and sitting back and telling stories about how I used to race triathlons and now I have a giant gut and I I like to watch the NFL all weekend drink beer. That's to me, 
not to judge that, although that does sound judgmental. It, to me, that's not healthy. So I want to do whatever I can do right now to be the best I can be and have some competitive and competitive challenge that literally, if I'm doing it right, it means as much to me as it did when I was at the national championships on professional circuit. But uh, it's different, uh, different parameters. But that's interesting because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. To me, it means everything. So when I finish, I broke the world record in the single hole of speed golf. We can talk about that as like the offshoot of this tournament I just described. And, you know, when I finished that hole, I think it was like the, the best athletic performance I've had in my life, just based on how I prepared yeah. and had this one day that I was going to do a peak performance effort. And it, was, it felt like winning uh, the Coke Grand Prix when I was on the professional circuit. It was the same level of satisfaction. I didn't get the $44,750, but that's okay. I got the smiles from my family and, um, you know, good times on YouTube. You can go look at the video. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, because I feel like even with the age component in, in endurance sports, it doesn't seem that a lot of people like, oh, well, I'm old, so it doesn't matter what I do. I think people get just as wrapped up in their times. You know, it's because it's such a type A kind of sport mm-hmm. where – that's right, we, right. I, I don't know if it's nature nurture kind of thing. Like, is it the type Bayers that are geared toward endurance sports? And so even at ages 40, 50, 60, 70 plus, it seems like people have that potential to get just as unhealthfully obsessed <laughs> with their performances and numbers and data where letting go of it a little bit might serve them better. Right. I mean, there's this category you just described. People are going for the podium and competitive. They got no problem with missing competitive intensity. Mm -hmm. As I described, the people on the couch drinking beer and watching NFL for nine hours straight, we might have a conversation with them to say, hey, man, why don't you try to make something, you know, use your body and try to be physical and delay the the inevitable demise of aging doing something. But then we have this other group that's more likely to be listening to the show where they are jacked up, man. They are fired up and they got this goal and this goal and this goal and 17 of them relate to their career where they're Mm -hmm. jamming and the other nine relate to, um, you know, uh, 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 their their multi sport uh, endurance goals, and then hopefully two or three with the relationship, kind of keep that going. And that's why I open it up on my podcast to talk about a lot of health and fitness and peak performance. And I have Peter Atia and Ben Greenfield, and you know the the leading uh, physical performance and biohacking people. But I also have relationship experts and talking about a bigger picture than just being your physical best and eating this and not eating that because I think we've gone we've talked that to death I mean if you want to ask me what the healthy foods are in my refrigerator I'm going to gag myself while I'm while I'm talking because it's just gone so overboard and then we're forgetting these big picture items so back to that I mean this is like the ultimate question that we should be you know hashing on the show here it's like okay you have your competitive intensity you're doing good but how do you kind of keep that in balance and in perspective exactly Um, and I'm going to venture to say Speaking from former, you know, elite athlete competing at the very highest level, when I settled myself down and realized that you can turn on that competitive switch and then turn it right back off after the race is over and smile and have fun. And the Australians were the best example of that to make a broad generalization. These people and their culture down there, sport is intertwined in the culture. They're outdoors, they're Mm -hmm. active, they're healthy. What, like, 
like 90% of them live within two miles of the beach or something. Yeah. And Look up that stat if I'm wrong. Doing the surf ski and they do everything. And all it's stuff. all yeah. part of life. And they're so competitive. And they, they would pop off all the time and brag and do these cocky statements that an American wouldn't be caught saying because it doesn't sound modest enough, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was all out on the table. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mate, I'm going to blow your mind today in the swim. I'm swimming so strong in workout. <laughs> I reckon I'll get 30 to 60 seconds on you tomorrow out of the water. You know, and we're not talking like that. We're saying like, you know, I feel okay, but my left shoulder hurts a little bit. You know, like kind of diffusing this uh, overt competitiveness. That kind of crap. (laughs) Faux real. So if you were kind of transition out of that and imagine for a second that it was okay to compete, like I'm going to give you a Roger Bannister quote too. Like he said, Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find hey ladies you may have heard me talk about gains wave treatment for improving male penile vascular health and sexual function and maybe you thought hey what about my needs well gains wave has got you covered with a revolutionary new treatment protocol called gains wave for her As with the male Gainswave treatment, a skilled practitioner uses a handheld device to send low-intensity shock waves into your vaginal area to stimulate a healing response, promote increased blood circulation, and the growth of new blood vessels. After a series of 6 to 12 very brief treatments, which are painless but extremely effective, you get real results with Gainswave reporting an 80% success rate. Some benefits. 
You will revitalize your intimate relationships with heightened sensation and arousal and enhanced pleasure and satisfaction. Don't contemplate invasive procedures or uncomfortable medical treatments. Regain confidence and reclaim your sexuality with Gaines Wave for her. You visit the website, gainswave.com, G-A-I-N-S-W-A-V-E.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area. You complete a series of treatments, and the beneficial effects will last for a long time, especially if you eat and exercise well to promote overall vascular health. It's a tune-up for your equipment. So please visit gainswave.com slash Brad to find a practitioner in your area and take advantage of my special promo that you'll mention when you find your local practitioner. Buy six treatments and get one free. The essence of sport is while you're doing it, nothing else matters. Mm -hmm. But when it's done, you generally file it away in a place not very important. Mm -hmm. That's not the exact quote, but I put the file cabinet in there because right now, like I finished racing 24 years ago. And all my race results are in this brown folder in the very back of my file cabinet. I could pull it out and I could look and see what I got in Bud Light USTS Phoenix in 1991. Before the Athlinks days, right? Right now, now it's <laughs> now like now there's an archive. Oh my gosh! You don't have to do yeah. anything, and it's there. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like when that when that day came and I was in Phoenix racing, it meant everything to me, and I'd worked so hard and tried so hard to to get to that point. Yeah. Um, but I also uh, won, let's see, four races where I was disqualified after, sometimes two, three, four hours after the race. I received a phone call when I won World's Toughest in Lake Tahoe. It was an eight-and-a-half-hour ultra-distance run over three mountain passes and 20-mile trail run, the hardest race in the world. And I won. Then I went home to take a nap, and then someone called. I thought it was a crank call. I kept asking which one of my friends was doing this to me. And so the, the victory was taken away from me Why? with a phone call. Um, the, the road was open to traffic because they couldn't close down a road for hundreds of miles in a resort town, right? Mm-hmm. And so the rule was obey all traffic laws. That means you have to take, unclip, and put your foot down at every stop sign. Gotcha. Sure, sure, I understand. Pro athlete meeting, I got you, I got you. So I was escorted the entire route by a CHP officer. So we'd, we'd come up to an intersection, and he'd blow his siren, and I'd blow through at 20 miles an hour. So I got a huge advantage from you know the guys who had to put their foot down on the stop sign. But I, I argued, like, I should have got the lawyer. Uh, John, could you come in for a second? That's Tawny's <laughs> husband. Here he is, our legal representative on the show. I'm like, wait a second. I had a police escort. Mm. Are you telling me Barack Obama is breaking traffic laws when he's running the Reds on, mm. on Pennsylvania? No, I, I broke no laws. Ask the cop who's, who kept me company for five hours. That's I went crazy, you know. But the reason I brought it up is, like, the victory was taken away from me, but was it really? I mean, I no, did it. Right. I, I participated. I had the best race. I had a great run. I was really strong. It was a wonderful day. My family and friends were there. Uh, but the fact that I was an official disqualification person, um, you, have to, you have to learn to process that and realize that the, the value and the richness of the experience was what happened, whether or not someone decided to DQ me. Yeah. Yeah. I the best you. victory speech of all time in triathlon. Andreas Bozell, I give you credit, uh, from uh, uh, Vail or Aspen, Colorado. He was awarded the win at the award ceremony. The next day, he was 15 minutes behind me. It was an ultra. So, you know, um, he, was, he was respectful of my performance. And he said, sorry, Brad. 
That was a, that was a speech. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Brad. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, you're right. That can't take away the experience that you had and the still the fact that you were the fastest on the day. Because even with had you stopped, I'm sure that was not 15 minutes worth of oh, foot down. That was also in my legal argument. Like uh, item number four was like, yeah. can you penalize me 12 minutes for that horrible right? transgression? Yeah, yeah. Yikes. Didn't fly. But I hear you. I mean, the the DNF that I had at Ironman Tahoe. Um, Gosh, oh, it got cold or something? Ago, six years ago. No, it's a long story. We don't need to go into the story itself. It's on episode number 14. <laughs> no, it's somewhere in the archives. It literally is. Um, but the swim that morning was still like one of the most uh, memorable moments of my triathlon career because it was snowing outside and there was talk for days that the race was going to be canceled or shortened or something. And for anybody who woke up and went swimming in Lake Tahoe that morning, I mean, that in itself was a victory. So even though the day didn't work out, you know, how I imagined it, I really honestly now, like years later, I'm like, that's one still stands out to me as a really important, you know, event in my life, even though it was had a kind of that tag of like DNF next to it. But hey, that's part of it, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. and sometimes there's probably races that I did better at that were not even that as memorable. It's just those certain experiences. So putting yourself out there. Um, yeah, putting yourself out there is big. And I think I, we were talking about before we, we started recording, like, you know, it's it's tough to strike that balance. Because if I'm coming off like, oh, Brad said you should be loosey-goosey at the races and not and get over yourself and have fun and all that. You know, you can run yourself that, into trouble that way, yeah. too. And I'm I'm guilty of like having an overly positive approach and disposition to life. And so I always look on the bright side, whether I have there's a family crisis or whether I, I got fired from a job or I, I you know, um, didn't didn't achieve the goals that I set for and tried really hard. And I'm like, oh, that's all right. At least I'm uh, alive and I can see the ocean from your beautiful view here. And that's a in itself for me, I identify it as like a coping strategy to not really face um, reality Sometimes and face fall. the shit that I'm that I'm I need to dig myself out of, including, let's say, getting my ass kicked from uh, uh, in an event where I wasn't really t- training uh, appropriately. I wasn't doing enough swimming or whatever it was or dealing with a personal family crisis. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to face I, I give you a lot of credit for getting Thanks. out there and, and communicating with the with the world um, pain and suffering. Instead of saying, hey, everybody, it's sunny again today in Laguna Beach. So uh, all is well in life. And maybe maybe that's not, um, you know, that's a that's a tough it's tough to try to put on that smiley face. Deepak Chopra said that um, being effusively positive uh, is a form of stress in itself. I'm reading one of his books. right I now. I totally identify with that. Yeah. Like over being overly positive is a form of stress in itself. You put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I think at the cost of ignoring what is actually there and that's something that i've become intimately familiar with in the past year is recognizing honoring and touching you know so to speak everything that's there whether good or bad because if you don't it's still going to be there and then you're not dealing with it and then it could come out in other ways that are not necessarily appropriate effective you know for your well-being uh you you carry shit on a backpack yeah. you said touching on the brock show too like that meditation term yeah, which is I, beautiful it's, it's, you know because yeah. i went to that meditation retreat and it's one of the things that i visually you know even though you're not literally touching anything but to me it's such like a good visual like mem- or idea of how this all works when you're looking at your mind and making sure that you're not seeing yourself as your thoughts or feelings but rather that's just you know they're there and you can touch them 
and then you can let go of them kind of mm-hmm. vibe. And it's that mental image that you can create for yourself that helps you realize like you don't have to be trapped by your thoughts, but you also at the same time can't ignore whatever's there. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting and that that idea of being too positive I think it's more the rare side of things. If anything, people are probably a little bit more too on like the negative side about things like, you know, oh, my life sucks. This is what I don't have. I'm mm-hmm. not as fast as this person rather than the- if you're type A and you're, you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're so most most likely in that other category. You would think yeah. that being the more positive guy would actually be the goal. But really, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're still kind of missing the bigger picture of what's there. Yes. Yeah, I, th- I would say it's a stepping stone the way you just, you're describing my life now because I was that super badass competitor who ran himself so hard in college that he got sick and injured four or five seasons in a row, pneumonia, uh, mono, stress fracture, shin splints, mm-hmm. uh, malacia. You know, I just ran myself into the ground because I was willing to kill any of these guys any day yeah. so I could be a great champion runner and realize my dreams and have my self-esteem continue to, you know, climb from all that bullshit. And then I had to become like the um, I had to pull out the the class clown part of my personality and have uh, as much fun as anybody and be the lighthearted guy on the circuit who would be laughing and joking as we walked down to the water's edge. And Mark Allen had the stare on his face that like, you know, not, he, he was not present in the in the world with the rest of us because mm-hmm. he was so focused. Mm-hmm. But for me, something else worked and I was able to, you know, cope with the stress in that manner. But then if you kind of tiptoe too far over that that direction and you're always positive and upbeat and cheerful all the time, no matter matter what then you're not really in close touch with your emotions i think yeah exactly and you're not touching anything except for uh the pretty blue sky and puffy clouds yeah yeah dan millman you know him way of the peaceful warrior listeners Uh go go uh uh, order on amazon way of the peaceful warrior it's the best book i've ever read in my life i've read it probably 15 times i used to read it once a year uh through my 20s and 30s i probably haven't read in a while he's got many other books after that but he said um uh, live your life as if you were watching a great movie where you uh, cry the tears of uh, of joy and, and the tears of sadness and you feel all this range of emotions and then you get up and walk out of the get out of your right. seat and walk out of the theater the movie's over so the day's over the race is over the freaking year of 2017 which sucked or 2018 or 2009 and you're forgotten about it and you're you lost your uh, fortune in the, the the real estate crash it's over and it's time to you know feel the full intensity of it and then and then move on and carry those lessons with you so that hopefully you don't repeat the same mistakes or the same negative um, thought and behavior patterns. So I, I had an interesting conversation with a friend who's a Buddhist on this whole idea of like letting go and moving on. Because oh, those guys don't know. Sh- they don't know what they're talking <laughs> about. Know. Oh, excuse like, me. <laughs> why would I know? They're definitely- why should I listen to you? Why are you so freaking happy, man? Because um, I was struggling with that component with my own story. You know, everybody knows um, about our loss at this point. But, you know, in my mind, I'm like, why should I have to let go and move on from that person that was our first child like that sounds ridiculous to me to have to say like well 2018 is over so time to move on and this is something I've been dealing with like kind of at the end of the year into this new year and he explained it to me in a way that um made a lot more sense where his first question back to me was well why do you need to let go you know so this whole idea of letting go is an overly simplified way to explain something that is much more complicated And it's not so much about trying to erase a memory or erase a bad year or erase a certain occurrence of any kind in your mind, because whether you like it or not, that memory is always going to be there. 
whatever happened to you in 2009, you lost your fortune and were on the streets. That's always going to be a memory in your head. You can't forget that. You lose a loved one. You're always going to remember that loved one and then whatever the circumstances of their death were and how you felt afterwards. And it's not something you should move on and let go from. But with the idea of meditation and mindfulness, the idea of desensitizing ourselves to the reactions that we have when we think about that is the key. And that's kind of where in lies the idea of letting go is just allowing yourself again to this like touching your thoughts and feelings process, doing that repetitively enough where we start to not have such a strong emotional reaction to whatever that particular event or thing is in our life that causes us pain and suffering. And I've seen that directly in our own my own circumstances. I, if I hadn't have done the work I've done in the last year, I think I would still be somewhat of a wreck. But I've put, I knew that this work was the key to my survival. And so that's that's the idea of your your reaction and attachment to the thing is what is meant by this whole idea of letting go. That's heavy, girl. That's, I, I love that. I mean, it's sort of, you have to live in acceptance instead of denial. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean smiley ass face. Like, it like, doesn't. like Brad Kern's mistakenly thought for here and there. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a very like raw way to deal with life. Um, and there, therefore, um, you know, the most meaningful and rich life possible is to, is to be present and, yeah. um, live in acceptance rather than denial. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, do we want to get triggered every time we, um, see a, a, a tall guy with a beard? Cause you got dumped when you were 23 by a tall guy with a beard. Uh, no, but that's the thing. Like, I think if you continue to think about the tall guy with the beard, when it with comes the Maserati up in your mind, and the, uh, the seven bedroom home weird, overlooking weird uh, example, the bay in Hawaii, <laughs> the more you allow yourself to think about that when it comes up, the less reactive you will be to it over time. Oof. You know, and hopefully then maybe instead of having that intense blow up reaction every single time, maybe it's only, you know, 25% of the time that you have that. Right. Um, you allow you, you allow it. It's okay. Yeah. I, I suppose that, that would be like that what a therapist is working on, you know? Really oh, I got dumped so many times, two timed and all the, all those emotional traumas. Yeah. I know. Um, so yeah, I didn't really mean to go down that path because I there's actually I know we have all these uh, practical questions to talk about, but yeah. this is um, this is this is how it's we roll sometimes. It's going to be a syndicated show, by the way. <laughs> I mean, this is this is why we like to sit down and get together yeah. rather than talk about my testosterone levels on Skype, which are also <laughs> of great interest to endurance athletes. But uh, just so we can transition smoothly, this stuff is so incredibly relevant to, let's say, your peak performance goals and your mechanical approach to training that it's, that's one of the most important messages I have to share too. Are you from, talking about from, the mental mindfulness? Yeah, of, just yeah. the stuff in your life. Um, Mike Pig, you heard of him? Mm -hmm. Top, top, top guy. I remember one time like getting up the courage, we were in the hotel room together and he was writing in his training journal, which was 99 cent spiral notebook from the thing. And I'm like, Hey man, can I see what, like how you chart your workouts and stuff? Sure. No problem. And I grabbed this thing and it was like, you know how you buy the, the workout logs with the squares for like mileage, 6.3 time. How many weights, how many sets did you do of this workout, that workout with all the blanks? His is like one line for these epic, insane all day workouts that we were doing when I went up and trained visit with him. Yeah. It would say like Bridgeville, Neeland, 
seven hours, left knee feels better. That was his extent of his commentary on this all day long ride where you go 50 miles on pavement and 50 miles climbing these dirt roads in the backwoods of the Trinity Alps and finally making it back in the thick fog. I would have written a, 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 you know, a poem about the ride. It was incredible. But his is like one line on Spiral Notebook and the rest of it's like, Man, these deals are still stressing me out. I don't know if I should switch agencies. I want to. I kind of want to touch my sponsors more and talk to them more. But then I also like the fact that they're taking care of all the shit for me. And I don't know about this knee. It's been you know personal, emotional things that he's sharing in in a journal, like a diary. I'm not trying to be uh, you know impersonal, yeah. or whatever. But I was like, oh my gosh, the level of importance from he he did his job today. Right? What more are you going to say? Oh, you were four minutes faster this week. Who cares? Or was, you know? Yeah, like it's all hard. all the drama and yeah. like the fluffiness and the things that sometimes we we traffic in when we're on the recreational level. And we're, yeah, we're writing down our watch meter and how fun it was. This was like we talked for about ten minutes riding out of town, and then I got on his wheel mm-hmm. and time trialed on his wheel, trying to stay there for fifty miles. We stopped at a convenience market. And I'm shopping for stuff. He's like, just grab anything, consume it, and we got to go. It was like a five-minute <laughs> stop for a 100-mile, seven-hour ride. But it was like I'm telling these stories because like the awakening that I had, again, was like getting over myself in my little journal with all the things about, oh, the trail was flooded, so I went one mile shorter today than my usual loop. Uh, therefore, my time was a little faster, but it wasn't really that much faster. That would have been me. Uh, yeah. And like, oh, my gosh, I hit so many stoplights today, so I couldn't keep a good moment momentum going right, like right. So i would just have to slow down and it'd take me a while to get back up to speed oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you look for those excuses it's actually one reason i give a very in-depth questionnaire when i start with an athlete or do a consult with an athlete and it's not so much about what i'm i'm not looking for numbers always although you know that is kind of you know, somewhat a relevant thing but it's more about what they want to share with me you know what kind of st- what sticks out in their mind as and what you're saying like what Mike Pig chose to wrote in his training plan like that's a really important piece I think and those are the kind of things that matter I love when people want to share you know some more like intimate details about what's going on in their mind rather than just what their average wattage was yeah, I got three girlfriends right now. I'm really busy and stressed, so I like to get out on the bike and just clear my <laughs> mind after a, a Saturday night when I'm getting texts from one and the other. Uh, and I like to use that stuff against them like five months later. So when they write like goals, want to be a role model for my young children by finishing the Iron Man and showing that I can achieve goals. And I'll come back and go, you know what? A 10-year-old, a 13-year-old girl stuck to her phone and a, t- a 12-year-old boy, they don't care about standing around for 10, 12 hours in, in Kona. They want to go and you know go to the beach and yeah. um, they don't care. They don't yeah. care if you finish or drop out. They just know and then love their dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then secondly, if you want to be a role model, why were you doing that neighborhood 10K when you had 101 fever? Is that a role model for what? For pushing your body in when you're ill to go and do something stupid? Yeah. So let's go back to your it's, answers from five months ago. That very much gets into like the Maffetoni kind of stuff of like we live in a society of no pain, no gain, and we're willing to you know push ourselves over the edge when we should just be taking a rest day instead. And I think you and I both, you know, even though we're 20 years apart, I think we're very much on the same page of like, we'll take that rest day at this point. Yeah, I seem uh, uh, as goofy as a 30 something and you're like as mature as a 53 year old (laughs) woman. But, you know, and we we both look like, you know, 25 top, top, yeah, (laughs) top form. 
Greetings, my fitness-minded listeners. I want to acquaint you with the Primal Fitness Expert Certification Program, the most comprehensive home study multimedia fitness education course in the world. If you want to enhance your personal knowledge of all aspects of leading a healthy, active, fit lifestyle, this total immersion course will be life-changing. I'm the lead instructor and author of the course, and we have 14 chapters of extensive written content with over 100 accompanying videos covering topics such as general everyday movement, including micro-workouts and dynamic workstation tips, the full experience of gym-based strength training and all the different modalities, a complete presentation on all aspects of sprinting, both running and low-impact options, an assortment of high-intensity interval training and high-intensity repeat training strategies, a detailed education on the principles and practical application of aerobic endurance training, and extensive commentary, the most you will find in any publication, on all aspects and symptoms of overtraining and burnout. We even have fascinating peripheral topics like integrating nasal diaphragmatic breathing, dynamic stretching, injury prevention, and developing a peak performance mindset. It's really something, this course. We went all out for over two years with a great team to develop this amazing home-based fitness education for you. And you get one-on-one expert email support and private Facebook group connection throughout your studies to ensure that you absorb everything optimally and you pass your series of exams and get certified. So go to primalhealthcoach.com slash Brad to enjoy a very special limited time. And I'm not kidding. This is a big time discount just for you. 25% off your tuition. A fantastic premium offer at primalhealthcoach.com slash brad for the most comprehensive fitness course you can ever find. I want to tell you about wildhealth.com. They're an online provider of comprehensive precision medicine and health consultation services. They offer DNA analysis, custom lab panels, extensive medical intake form with family history and lifestyle preferences, and regular online visits with a board-certified precision medicine physician and a health coach whom you can message anytime through their convenient app. Wild Health evaluates your data to determine what you need for nutrition, exercise, sleep, and supplements, and you can experiment, consult, and retest to get everything dialed in. You'll get a cutting-edge epigenetic test of DNA methylation to calculate your all-important biological age and have fun lowering your age over time instead of following the mainstream path to accelerated aging. It's time to strive for awesome instead of just normal. Did you realize that only 6.8% of Americans are deemed metabolically healthy and only 2% are declared optimal? That's disgraceful, but you can turn things around quickly. Please visit wildhealth.com and you will see that this is the absolute gold standard of personalized medicine and it's available to you right now. Telemedicine available anywhere in the USA. Wild Health is generously extending BRAD podcast listeners 20% off the cost of membership. Just visit wildhealth.com slash Brad or use the code Brad20 at checkout to get 20% off and start taking control of your health today at wildhealth.com slash Brad. So 
I do want to talk about your math training experience. And you said with the speed golf, you said, did you say anaerobic or aerobic threshold that you're running? Oh, this is, um, you know, 175, okay. 180 okay. tough. But you're training yeah. with math for that. Yeah, because you can't go and do that. I mean, I play speed golf a lot. Well, you can, fortunately. but you know the consequences. Kill yourself. Yeah, yeah I, I wipe myself out way too much because it's it's really hard to keep it math when you're going and playing speed golf. Funny, um, I'm running at math pace. Mm-hmm. I stop, get my club, swing and hit the shot. No practice swings, of course, and I hear the beeper. Mm. So, like the act of physical act of swinging and hitting a golf ball Gets you will math. bump your heart rate up, and then you got to slow down oh even more. So you so, have the beeper on on your watch. Oh too. sure, yeah, and it's it's a lot of walking, and um, then then I'm kind of not simulating my tournament experience. So a lot of times I go out there and just blast around, and then it takes a long time to recover for me. And uh, those 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 episodes of high stress training. Um, you know, when we talk in context, and then people send me questions to Primal Endurance email, like they, they think in black and white terms all the time. Like, you know, always train below your maximum aerobic heart rate, no matter what, or you're a loser. No, that, that's not what we're saying. It's just that um, you got to push and challenge yourself to peak performance goals and simulate the competitive experience. But we just do it too frequently. So the baseline of having a, a base of training where you're training in a comfortable, non-stressful, minimally stressful manner, that's what helps you build to become a great athlete. I think that's what Maffetone talks about a lot is also then using the races as your higher intensity workouts, right? So you're keeping that balance. Hey, how about that for an idea? Yeah. Just but, go race for your speed workouts. But, yeah. you know, for some athletes, maybe more of the, on like the novice end of things, how do you feel about that need to practice? Like how often or how necessary is practicing those race intensities and training rather than just leaving it to chance, if you will, on race day? <laughs> leaving it to genetics, like we yeah, say at the start exactly. of the show. That thing is so far stuck in my mind. It has to be, It's though. like the, the pat answer for everything. And I think there's a whole lot of truth to it. I mean, the people on the podium or, or whatever, uh, especially if you look at the professional level, um, don't ask any of those people what they're doing and don't try to model any of that. I mean, the Brownleys are known for eating junk food, apparently. They eat mm. their pastry cakes and their puff creams, and they've been dominating the sport for whatever, close to a decade. Um, they're just a different different organism. Same with Lance Armstrong. I spent some time around him, and he never got tired. He did these crazy corporate events all day long, and you know, on the bike the next day, uh, back shaking hands and signing autographs, and most people would be fried. Yeah. But it's just, it is what it is. So... Forgot the question, but me too. The, um, <laughs> no, about um, you know. Oh, 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 oh so if you want to, you know, you got to yeah, 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 you got to you got to push yourself once in a while. Um, there's no like formulaic answer here, yeah. but I, I would venture to say it's less than we think it is. And when you can t- turn in a really high quality session uh, that you recover from well, then you can theoretically progress with your fitness over months and years. And I know Phil talks about that long, mm-hmm. that long timeline also, where you know, you have to be patient. And if your maximum aerobic uh, test right now is a 14 minute mile, we're going to help you. you. You sign up for Tani's coaching; she'll get you down to 12 minute mile in in one year, maybe six months. Well, I mean, it it's true. It, if you're running, if you're if you're 14 minute mile as an aerobic athlete right yeah. now, 
that's not highly conditioned. You're going to get that thing down to 12, and then you're going to open yourself up to this world of amazing possibilities. But we get emails from people that say, um, yeah, my, my best half marathon's 137, and I just started this math thing, and my, my thing is 14-minute mile. Whoa, because 137's right. moving, man. Yeah. That's like eight-something, right? If not seven, yeah, so eight. The, don't, don't feel bad if you're one of these people who are extremely deficient aerobically. You just haven't trained that energy system well, and you need to deserve and, and it's the, the highest level of your potential and protecting your health and having longevity will all be accessed with a sensible approach that's been proven for 60 years since Peter Snell uh, that that the the aerobic foundation is essential and that hacking it with a whole shit ton of intensity because you only have four hours a week to train is going to be highly problematic. It's going to get you to a certain performance level and then you're going to suffer from breakdown, burnout, illness, and injury if you try to keep going down that path. Right. I agree so much. Um, So when you started math, I don't know what you, you know, I was reading one of your blogs on your website, how you started off when you're doing the speed golf thing at a heart rate of 145 and quickly found that that was at your age, you know, 50 plus at this point over training territory. It didn't take long for you to start to see the signs of that. And you've learned enough by now to back off. So then you bumped it down to 130, which is more of your true math. <laughs> yeah. How was that for you, the transition into that true math zone um, as far as your body and performing and moving? Was it a frustrating transition? Or? Um, well, you know, I've, I've, I've dealt with this frustration since 1987 when I switched <laughs> over to heart rate training. Yeah. And so, you know, we were previously just blasting workouts. And yeah. There was no heart rate. The heart rate was invented. I, I got my first Polar in 1987. It was a rectangle. It was the size of an iPhone. So the frustration is a lot easier to process when you understand and realize this is the path. And then when I was a young person, uh, my my math uh, heart rate was six-minute miles. I could run a 30-minute. My best test for five miles was 30 minutes at math. So, like... That was not too frustrating to run 600 yeah. miles. Now I'm 53 years old. I'm not in shape. I don't do endurance heavy competition except for speed golf. I'm nine minute mile, maybe, probably a little slower now. It's a little frustrating to think back to the 25 year old guy that could fly up the hills without the heart rate beeping. Yeah. And you just have to recalibrate, just like all your goals in life, you want to recalibrate in a healthy manner so that I'm not. Uh, driven to catch up to the guy that passes me on the trail who's flying along. Um, but in regard to the specific question, since I, I know I'm not good at answering specific <laughs> questions, but like in, a, in about too. like three or four months, I was running the same speed. I, I took it down from 142 was my beeper alarm to 130 mm-hmm. because I suffered um, health problems and breakdown because I hadn't been really training in 20 years. And I started putting in a lot of miles on the golf course mainly because yeah. you don't notice the miles on the golf course. Mm. 18 holes is five miles. Is it? It's not like I ran five miles. I just had a fun time playing golf. Right. Oh, yeah. So it added up, added up, and I fell apart. And then I realized that... Um, this ventilatory threshold calculation that's popular with the exercise scientists where they think that's math. Um, for me, it's higher than math. Yeah. Yeah. And so why, what's Phil's scientific rationale for that? Ask him. He made it up in the shower one day. (laughs) He did. It just popped into his head. Yeah. The 180, he was thinking of, um, like 220 minus age and then, uh, was looking at the power source in the plug is 220. You know how he goes off. But he, he just he, um, he put this 180 up there and then started seeing people's gait change, right, when he was doing the evaluations uh-huh. of his clients. And when they kicked it up to the heart rate above 180 minus age, their gait would change, implying an increased stress, like a nonlinear 
uh, increase in the stress impact of the workout. Right. And that's what ventilatory threshold does is identifies when the, the type 2 uh, oxidative fast twitch are suddenly recruited. You get change in brain function, change in MRI. You get change in respiration rate. And so it's like a, uh, what do you call it, a, it a spike a, on the curve. Yeah, it yeah. Like shoots up. So it. something's happening at ventilatory threshold where it's starting to get um, measurably harder in a nonlinear manner, implying that maybe you should go up to that point and not over. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, uh, the math calculation is way lower, 12 beats lower. And that's why you want to go on the conservative side if you've got two different numbers and you're showing proof from your expensive lab test that you're, you can train at this level. I know from practical experience that a lot of development happens at much lower heart rates than, than maximum aerobic heart rate even. So back when I was racing and I'm running six-minute miles at math, I'm not doing that every single day because that's physically stressful to have that's 300 pounds of impact trauma right. on each stride because I'm running a six-minute mile. Um, so I would do many of my runs at 115 to 120 heart rate with my math being 155 and my racing heart rate being 180 for Olympic distance try. So I'm 60 beats below racing heart rate. On the bike, we'd spin around at 100, 105, 110 for many of the miles of that week. And then, of course, hit up that at math on certain workouts and then hit a time trial or a race also. So for the average listener, most of your exercise should be minimally stressful. And it can be way below math, which means a walk. And so if you go out and take a hike or a walk, you are getting aerobically fit. It's a proven scientific fact that that directly translates into improved race performance. I will never forget the year that I realized walking was beneficial. (laughs) It was four years ago. But I was like, this is the year of walking for me. I realized, okay, I, I get it now. Because for a lot of us athletes, we think it's just a waste of time. But there is something there. There is value there. And especially, we recently had a question on Ask the Coaches um, asking about incorporating walking into running and longer runs. And that's something Phil, when he was advising me for a marathon um, that same year, 2015, um, had me doing. He would have me walk for up to 20 minutes pre and post long run as part of you know not putting so much stress on my body but still being on my feet for longer durations. And it really helped, mm-hmm. you know, it was really interesting. And, um, yeah, it's definitely clicked since then. It's something I especially give to athletes, you know, in a more like injury recovery phase of their training as far as like walking incorporated with running. Um, but you know, the other thing with you, that was one of the things I wanted to talk a little bit about too. I think a lot of our listeners will find, you know, this to be an important conversation was that back in those days, your triathlon racing days, your testosterone was pretty tanked, even with, you know, the more math approach and sub math approach, just the sheer volume and stress. And then the higher intensity of racing, it seems like it was pretty tanked. And now these days, you know, even at your age, you've found the formula to success that works for you in a very natural way um, to keep your testosterone levels of what a 20 something year old male would have as his testosterone levels. So let's talk a little bit about as an aging athlete, you know, 45 plus or so, I don't really know when it starts to like tank for men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) nowadays, what's the guy's name that has the, the whole business built around this Christopher Walker. I think he is Google him. Yeah. He was tanked at Duke university. He was a zero. Oh, at call in college. Yeah. Yeah. And they wanted to do surgery. They thought he had a tumor on his, on his endocrine uh, system. And he, uh, you know, toned down his triathlon training, started walking around campus, put away the pizza and the top ramen and, and rebuilt his system naturally. But yeah, the, the, the breakdown and decline occurs probably 
uh, in the twenties because we're our, our screens in our face too much. But it doesn't mean you're screwed. I mean, that's the same thing we see with women too. Um, myself being a perfect example of having zero progesterone and estrogen and no period for years. It's a completely recoverable system, mm-hmm. thankfully. And you have seen that now too. You know, spanning decades where your testosterone levels are. Um, from you know what you've talked about on your blog and everything, wonderful at this point. So, so the interesting thing where you know I want you to expand on is that you really found that the math training worked. Like again, getting back to when you were running at 145 heart rate at 50 plus, that was overtraining territory. That was not good for your hormone levels. But as soon as you dropped it down to that 130ish range, that's where the magic started to happen. What else besides that? Because I don't feel like that alone is you know the secret to shooting your testosterone serum testosterone levels back up to a thousand when they were i don't know 100 200 300 right, yeah. prior okay going back because you you asked about you know when i was racing from age 20 to age 30 um, and I test my blood all the time because my brother worked in the lab. It was great. Oh, cool. um, and, you know, my testosterone was down on the low end of the normal male range, which is 200 to 800 for uh, uh, serum testosterone. It's now known to be much better to measure free testosterone. Right. So I'd rather have all the listeners uh, concentrate on their free testosterone uh, as well as the serum, but the serum testosterone is what's circulating around. Uh, what's it could be bound to, and it could be bound to the sex hormone binding right. globulin SHBG. So you want to test that as well. And if you have high, high serum, but oh, you're doing great. Your serum testosterone is 700, and then you have a high SHBG, and you're going to have a low free testosterone. That's what's acting upon the um, desired organs and tissues. So that's trouble. So you can be in trouble even if you have a high. Uh, serum testosterone. So yeah, I was down in, uh, you know, 200, between 200 and 800 as a healthy 20 year old yeah. guy who looked like he was fit and healthy, but I was only fit and not very healthy because I was constantly tanking myself. Interestingly, yeah, this was my career predates the days of EPO and the doping and endurance sports. Um, but my hematocrit, the red blood cell mm-hmm. count would be around 42, 43 when I was healthy and then I would tank down to 36, 37, Whoa. 38. And when you're under 40, that's you're not feeling good in yeah. daily life. You're not feeling good at the office. But I would go through this pattern over and over because I'd come in and get tested when I felt like crap and I'd been racing and traveling too much and there would be 37. And so what I have to do is sit on my ass, eat a lot of hamburgers, and just wait it out. Pretty soon I'd start to feel better. I'd get back into training. It would come up to 42, 43 again. But then you just rinse, repeat, and do the same. Pretty much. When you're, when you're racing on the circuit, I mean, there's ways yeah. to do it that are a little healthier, but it's a really, really tough battle. And that's why, like, not to uh, segue into, or to, to, what do you call it when it's an aside or a, a tangent? Oh, tangent yeah. um, not to talk about Hard doping, but, like, these athletes that are doing the Tour de France and doping their asses off so their hematocrit is pegged at 50, yeah. that's arguably a healthier way to get through the cycling season than doing what I did was being Mr. Al Natural who didn't even want to take ibuprofen for 10 years. I didn't want <laughs> anything too. in my body. I didn't want caffeine because yeah. oh. I didn't want to feel... No, that's, that's like, pushing it. <laughs> I wanted to wake up and feel the level of fatigue I was at that day so I'd make a proper train decision rather than get jacked up on coffee and then go out and do a group ride in the pack because I felt that's like... Rare. That trying that was leading to trouble, you know, seven days down the line or 14 days, 21 days down the line. So I wanted to ride out everything, including headaches. I just go down and lay down in bed, which I highly recommend instead of a, uh, a, a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Just feel what's going on and do what you can do unless you, you know, have an emergency almost. Um, but so, 
that's the that's the the background for just blowing out all yeah. your hormones and your blood levels because you're training too hard. So now, old person, um, yeah, the return to endurance training was not kind to my blood values, especially the um, you know the most important, arguably ones when you're when you're at this age and you're trying to hang on and you know. Uh, minimize that inevitable decline into aging and people have shown they can do a great job uh, with just uh, lifestyle means and possibly even um, drug regimens which are becoming more and more popular like hormone replacement yeah. therapy like yeah and I'm prescribed by their doctor you know I'm, I'm super open minded about that because I want to A live a long time and perform really well for a long time and so those are at odds right yeah. possibly for the most part or a half part um, so I'm open-minded to all that, but I feel like it should be a last resort when you're doing everything right and you send your questionnaire to Tani and says, I sleep eight to nine hours a night. I have no stress. I'm this, I'm doing that. I'm eating all these foods. I don't eat sugar. I don't eat bad oils. Uh, and then you have some bad values. You could probably explore that, but I want to do everything I can. And the reason I wrote that blog article about doubling my testosterone in six months or whatever is like, wow. I mean, I was alarmed when I was... It was a hypo diagnosis. I didn't see a doctor. I did the blood test myself, but mm-hmm. I was under the um, healthy range, below the healthy range for free testosterone, the important one. And they have different scales, so like I can't what, like say 10 like ten to twenty ish. Well, they, there's I've done different blood tests with different labs. There's like three different scales. Yeah, it's terrible because there's no comparison. I was a four point six, and then another time I was eighty seven. But you know, there's the context is tough, except to say here's the normal range. Yeah, if, yeah. And if it's in the same units, you could at least I have a list. You could probably figure it out, huh? Yeah, if it's in the same units, I have a list of ranges that I keep that I've learned over years working with functional doctors. Mm. So when I see blood values. You know, it's not compared to the conventional norm because conventional norms quite frankly are um, diagnosing sick people and they're measuring sick people so those ranges are wider we want a bit of a tighter range for optimization right the world war two world war one soldiers 19 whatever 12 or something had triple or quadruple testosterone level to the uh, gulf war guys in the it's 90s insane. from you know wide range of subjects right yeah. So if I have um, so okay, so that was a wake up call to you to see that at, as getting back to endurance sports, which you know it's not a shocker that endurance <laughs> training is not necessarily healthy for tri- um, testosterone or any hormone levels. You know, we've talked to athletes like Matt Bach, um, who went through his whole story of becoming low in testosterone and suffering from osteoporosis before he was even thirty years old because of his professional racing pursuits um so yeah we we definitely know that these things exist so but what's the remedy for it because obviously we still want to be endurance athletes right right (laughs) so for you so switching to the math you know it seems to me like you talking about genetics there's a little bit of that genetic gift for you that running at 130 heart rate kind of worked out relatively quickly for you to still get the stimulus you needed to run well Mm. and also hormonally respond well I think anybody will respond well to a healthier approach to training and knowing what you can take and you and only you, uh, unique to your circumstances, and then assessing whether you're, you're you know, pursuing a strategic approach or you're just uh, kind of blowing off excess energy with uh, ill-advised workouts. And I think we're really guilty of that. We don't, we don't think uh, intuitively and rationally about this stuff. We just want to stick to a predetermined goals or, mm-hmm. um, you know, balance our 
largely sedentary lives with blowing off energy and getting outdoors and out of space. That's where the walking and the hiking comes in or the easy pedaling or something that's still giving you all yeah. those benefits that you're craving that you don't even know about, you know, like getting outdoors and into open space. Um, that's a human need. It's a genetic human need, but we kind of just breeze that off and we're just looking at how yeah. many miles we're going to ride or what, what watts we're going to put out for this thing. So you can accomplish a whole bunch of goals by going way slower than you dreamed of that. And you'll notice your performance improve. And it's been proven by the stories of, you know, many great athletes on the pro circuit where they slowed down and trained comfortably and turned in these top performances, whatever your genetics are. But then that question of like, how do we, you know, make sure we have healthy hormones and then also hit those target um, workouts so that we can compete well. And I feel like we are heading into uh, a revolution in the fitness world and the endurance world where the training is no longer going to be, the centerpiece is no longer going to be burning calories and expending energy, but rather a more, you know, broader perspective, holistic. holistic thing where, you know, Joel Jameson, this guy in uh, Washington who trains MMA fighters, his website is eightweeksout.com with the number it's eight. The recovery based recovery training. Based training. It's, it's unbelievably, it's, the, the concept is beautiful where you're, you know, you're all about what can you, you know, what can you recover from and how, how can you get better at rest and recovery techniques. Brian McKenzie, a neighbor here yeah. in Orange County, he's into. I think he loves um, Orange County. He's all over the place. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think he came back and whatever. Yeah. But he's big on, I mean, we did a show, go listen to Get Over Yourself podcast. It was a great show. And he talked about, I go, what's big with you these days? I don't need to talk about your box jumps. We all know that, <laughs> you know, True, right? we all know that he, he's done this CrossFit endurance thing where you can jump up on boxes and do CrossFit workouts and succeed in endurance sports instead of just going slow all the time. It's like an alternative approach that's been proven to work. But his big thing now is like breathing awareness and um, cold exposure and heat exposure. Mm. And, you know, these things like mindfulness are coming into the athletic realm now where we're seeing uh, that, the, you know, the human can develop in a way that's aside from how many miles you're putting on your bike and Absolutely. on your shoes. Yeah. So I'm big on cold therapy. We make it, we can, you know, segue into that if we want. What kind of um, cold therapy you do? Because this is also something, you know, this may be very beneficial and even proven in research for males and testosterone, but for females suffering from depletion of estrogen, progesterone, and amenorrhea, you actually want to avoid some of those extremes, even with cold thermogenesis and whatnot. It's you want to keep the body at more of a homeostasis. So I tend to advise avoiding those things for my females when we're dealing with a similar thing, you know? Uh, yeah. I think um, foundmyfitness.com, Rhonda Patrick, yeah. she has a 26-page report on the benefits of cold exposure you can download for free. I love and, her, by the way. She's like yeah, yeah. my resource. <laughs> Thumbs up. One of the prominent studies that she touts a lot is a 20-second exposure to 40-degree Fahrenheit water can boost norepinephrine 200-300% wow. for up to two hours. So if you're getting a cold shower for 20 seconds or just getting that hormetic, that super brief stressor, like running down and jumping in the ocean, mm-hmm. swimming three Tis strokes. Tis the season. Tis yeah. the season, everyone. Today in the pouring rain. You know, if you're getting the well, brief the hormetic stressor. the country stressors, is like inundated with snow right now. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. I don't pay attention like to the news. Huge, Thank you. Huge storm. That thing is, there's no way that's going to be a, a super bad deal for anybody to do once in a while. 20 seconds, right? My practice is a little more devoted. I don't see any risks that I've thought about with 
you know, the female concerns you yeah, have, yeah. but like a quick exposure to cold. Or if you prefer, because the benefits, her sauna paper and her cold therapy paper and the science behind that, yeah. very, very similar. So uh, a lot of people, right. for you some like reason, have more appeal. I have this almost heaven sauna, it's called. It's incredible. It's a home use barrel sauna that's in my backyard, six feet wide, six feet long, fits four people or two people lounging. And so I have the chest freezer for the cold plunge and the sauna. Oh, you got and without exception, people are more interested in going in the sauna than the cold the cold uh, tub. I Amazing. mean, is that even a kind of a no-brainer? Yeah. You know, I remember talking to Ray Cronice. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's this crazy scientist. Oh, yeah, scientist he's dude. awesome. Um, Lost back, all that weight just getting cold all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So he, you know, this was back, even back when, speaking of that Tahoe Ironman that I was talking about and leading up to that, we knew it was going to be cold either way. And he always told me to end, like if you're going to do the cold shower thing, end on cold don't end on hot because that kind of negates some of the effects i don't really know the exact actual science on that but is that what Rhonda says in that what you're talking about the 20 second exposure is that oh, no, the that's end just, of it that's or just can you straight go straight up. back to like hot as shit after that and like recover your body um i like to rewarm naturally after my naturally. cold tub so, so i go into officially with more hot water um unless you're cold Right. If you're shivering and what happens, you get a delayed response. So I go into this chest freezer from Home Depot, 15 cubic foot, uh, and it's supposed to be filled with meat. You know, it's an op- a top opening chest That's freezer. Funny. I fill it with cold water and I keep it at 34 oh, to 36. Oh, oh, yeah. But every day I go in and I go in first thing in the morning no matter what the weather is, whatever. And I'm, I do 20 deep diaphragmatic breaths. So that's my meditation because I'm very successful meditating in that tub. And I think of nothing but my breath. And I've, a couple times someone has come out and tried to chat with me. Hey, what are you doing in there? No. Freezing yeah. right away. Another time I was listening to a podcast. I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep this on. So I put the phone on the side and was listening to the podcast. And I started to get shivery and kind of panic in the cold water. But now I plunge in there. I hold my breath when I go in. So I'm in there maybe 15 seconds underwater in 32 degree Leonardo DiCaprio Titanic water. <laughs> and then I emerge and I'm so happy to catch a breath. That I don't even care. It's cold. But I commence these 20 deep diaphragmatic breathing cycles that used to require three minutes. And now I can go six or seven minutes in the summer, maybe five minutes now in the winter. And I get out. You always get out before you're freezing or truly, you know, experiencing adverse effects of cold. So it's overcoming. It's like mind over matter where I'm breathing through the cold, just like the Wim Hof stuff that's become so popular now. Um, You know, there's no problem for me. Thank you for listening to the show. We would love your feedback at getoveryourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And we would also love if you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a hassle. You have to go to desktop iTunes, click on the tab that says ratings and reviews, and then click to rate the show anywhere from five to five stars. And it really helps spread the word so more people can find the show and get over themselves, because they need to. Thanks for doing it. This is Brad. I want to tell you about my life-changing acquisition of a personal home-use sauna. I have a 6 by 6 barrel sauna in my backyard, ready-made heat therapy, a fabulous unit from Almost Heaven. Check out their website. You can very affordably order your own sauna for installation in your backyard or garage and have 
a sauna experience, the fabulous health benefits accruing from exposure to hot temperatures. Get that sweat going. These are beautiful, traditional dry barrel saunas where you splash the water on the rocks, go in there and relax. It's become a social centerpiece at my home. People traveling from far and wide to come check out the barrel sauna, turn the dial or set the timer and walk in to 200 degrees in the Caribbean seas. For some reason, people like to come to the sauna more than my cold tub. Go figure. Check out almostheaven.com and their beautiful natural wood designs. And pretty soon, surprisingly affordable, you will be in the home sauna business.